This is the EWN Podcast Network. Yeah, I was unbelievable. We're in New Zealand, in Queenstown, and my sort of 17-year-old son, we do Adrenaline Week. He's standing right on the edge uh, on one of the days. We're bungee jumping off of Nevis, which is the highest bungee jump in Australasia, 134 meters, mm-hmm. into this sort of rock canyon. And, oh, my gosh, he stood on the edge. His toes are on the edge. And, you know, this, this contraption is strung between two mountains and swinging in the breeze. And he is terrified. It was like you talk about facing your fears. And after about three minutes, he clapped his hands and he just left on me. It was so exciting. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is awesome. And it looks like we're live. So would you like to? We're yeah, we're on air. <laughs> I would love you to tell that story again in a sec. But first, tell us, who am I talking to? Well, you're talking to David Wood, David T.S. Wood, up here in Canada. And uh, who am I talking to? Is this Carrie? This is. This is Carrie MacArthur. And you are listening to Dare to Find Your Voice. If you're someone that feels like you have a lot to say, but either you're afraid to say it, or you just feel like you're not being heard, then meet Carrie MacArthur. Hi, I'm Carrie. If you have ever felt like you're invisible or that you want to be invisible, like you've lost touch with who you are, I just want you to know that I understand. I was there and I have spent the last six years of my life reconnecting to myself, my power, and my purpose. And now it is my passion to help you to dare to find your voice. So if you're ready, say I'm ready. I'm ready. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's Virtual Office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's Virtual Office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's Virtual Office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. a million things I could talk to you about, a million questions I could ask you. The, what I want to talk about, though, and it's so well illustrated by the story you were just sharing, is openness. So just as a, as a precursor to that, I, <laughs> I thought I was open before I met you. And, um, you know, the first, what, half an hour within meeting you, um, you had us all agree to three things, to play at 100%, to being open, and to having fun. And it was easy for me to make those agreements because, first of all, I thought I was open. That was my favorite part. And having fun to me, I'm like, well, I have my own kind of fun, so I can have fun and not lie about it, even if it doesn't look like what you guys are doing. And the 100% part was more of a way to stay invisible because if I didn't agree I'd stand out so I had to do that but the openness I thought was easy and then quickly I learned that I was all mistaken so it's also been the power though behind my own discovery of my voice and of what life was like on the outside of my comfort zone so with that I would love for you to just you know begin with what you always teach about comfort zone and openness and then whatever else you want to share what we don't understand as humanity, as human beings, is that our brain is preconditioned um, through sort of 
you, you call it the reptilian part of the brain, you call it, you know, but this sort of, this old part of the, sort of the, the, the humanity, which is this, you know, the brain's job to keep us safe, to keep us alive. And the way it does that is it keeps us in our comfort zone. That's why most people have a favorite chair, they have a favorite meal, they have a favorite restaurant, they go to the same hairdresser, they drive the same way to work. And when we don't know that our brain is constantly attempting to keep us safe, keep us within the confines of the comfort zone. What we know, though, is when, when I survey, and I've done this all over the world, I've trained a million people, and you know, I ask people to describe in one word what is a comfort zone. In fact, I could ask you that, to describe the comfort zone in one word, what would you say? Today, I would say it's suffocation. <laughs> I think before I would have oh, said wow. it's very suffocation. It's Whoa. but before Perfect. I would have said it's so comfortable. You know, people say boring, mundane, the same old, same old, right? Yeah. So we have this kind of like this, this, this predisposition um, to living in our comfort zones. Yeah, when we talk about it, we talk about it with such a reverence that like, you know, this is an awful place to be. However, most people do it. They were creatures of habit for a reason, but we don't know the brain's job to keep us in there. What we do know, though, is everything we want. When I survey people about the things they want, you know, and people always say they must have freedom or choice or, you know, financial freedom or the ability to travel around the world or the ability to, you know, all these different things they want in their life, like to leave the legacy, to make a difference. All these things exist completely outside the, the zone of comfort. So here we are, we're in this conflict, we live in a conflicted world where our brain is doing everything it can to keep us inside the confines of our comfort zone, yet our heart is desiring to, you know, have a legal legacy, have live with purpose, you know, challenge ourselves to become our greatest self. All these things are going on, and it's conflict, and what typically wins is the brain. And that's why, you know, the story I was telling when we, uh, we were on air there was about my son, you know, we just spent two and a half months traveling together, 17, and one of the things I wanted was life outside his own comfort zone. And so we had Adrenaline Week was just one example of that. But, you know, we did nine countries. Adrenaline Week, though, you know, we did two bungee jumps, we did whitewater rafting, we did a skydive at 15,000 feet, uh, we did um, a jet boating, we went up, took the helicopter up to the high mountain, the mountain, the beaches, you know. So we get, just kept doing all these things that, oh, then we did a big cliff swing, you know, we did all these things that were, were sort of designed to have him feel what it would like to be outside his zone of comfort. And of course, what happens is when you start to stretch your comfort zone, especially intentionally, when you're intentionally pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, and that's what happened at the event you were talking about when you made those agreements with me, little did you know that I was going to have you so far outside your comfort zone <laughs> for seven days, right? And there was nowhere to hide, right? And so what ends up happening is you have to either quit and run, which you must have considered, <laughs> or you stay in it and you expand. And that's what happens is the comfort zone starts to expand. So I would say there's three zones. There's the comfort zone, there's the uncomfortable zone where, you know, all of the money, all of the, the juice, all of the, you know, the, the, the one of things, the legacy, all of the freedom, all, all those things exist outside the comfort zone, which is the uncomfortable zone. But there's a third zone which I call it the unknown zone. And this is where when we live consciously outside our comfort zone over decades, years, lifetimes, what happens is we develop what we call self-trust. It means that, you know, someone like myself, I trust myself in any situation to handle it. I don't, doesn't matter what it is, it can be extreme. 
extreme, it can be intimate, it can be whatever it is, because my my zone of confidence expanded consciously over so many years, and of course it led to me creating financial freedom, legacy, purpose, all these things came from as a result of that, and I was able to find out the new zone, the unknown zone, self-trust, mm-hmm. trusting myself in all situations. You know, being able to cope with anything that comes along, knowing that I can survive anything. There's nothing going to derail me. If my house burns down, you know how beautiful my home is. Yeah. If that burned down, it wouldn't. I wouldn't blink twice. It's just gone. I know that I can handle whatever life throws at me, and that comes from you know consistently living outside that zone of comfort. Yeah, and you do it so well. So, you know, in the beginning, when I look back, I didn't know that I wanted anything. Like I honestly thought my life was so good and I didn't want to change anything. And so the agreements you had us made were so brilliant because if you would have just said be open, I'd have said, yeah, whatever. Um, Other than the fact that, well, you just said be open, I just said bring it. But then when you'd have said, you know, let's go and pretend like we're Tommy boy and be ridiculous on stage, I would have said, yeah, whatever, I don't, my life's good. So having those agreements to to play it 100% as well. well but, but what's most interesting though, your yeah. brain would have said, my life's good. Right, I had no still, idea. Your heart's still yearning, your heart's still yearning for what's on the other side of, you know, doing something outrageous. Because on the other side of it, you feel something, you did, you have a visceral experience yes, that you can't comprehend because your brain is conditioned to keep you inside the little box you live in. So it's like, no, that's ridiculous. I don't need that, my life's perfect. Yeah. But you know, since you stepped outside that zone of comfort, how your life has expanded and just kind of, just, I mean, amazing things have started to happen, right? Yes, and that is exactly, you totally explained in words that I haven't even considered before. It was, I was so into my comfort zone that I was in my brain all the time. I didn't, I was very disconnected from my heart. However, I did have a visceral response and that was my heart speaking to me. I didn't recognize it then. Then it was like every miserable thing, it all happened at the same time. And I was very embarrassed. I was crying my eyes out and thinking you were going to let me off, you know? And what you said was you've agreed to play it a hundred percent. And I was so mad at you, but I'm so grateful now because I felt the feeling. It's so incredible you know, to anybody who's listening and is considering or maybe even having the thoughts of, but wait, I'm fine. I don't need to step outside my comfort zone. Like as soon as I finished that scary thing, I felt something like, have you, do you remember even back to, were you ever in stuck in a comfort zone? First of all, I can't really well, believe yeah, that about I mean, you. <laughs> listen, the, the, the brain is constantly all the time attempting to correct me. So it doesn't matter what you do, like some people are comfortable skydiving. Now, skydiving to some people seems way outside the comfort. You know, yeah. I can't even say that. skydives every day or times a week. So for him, that's his own comfort. You know, it seems ridiculous that that's comfortable for him. But maybe deep intimacy with a partner may not may be challenging. That may be way outside his own comfort. So comfort zone is a funny thing because it's not like there's one zone. You know, in intimacy, my zone of comfort may be very different from adventure. Or in business, my zone of comfort may be very different from family. So the zone of comfort, you know, your comfort zone is constantly, you know, it's different. But here's what happens. There's three main characters in the brain. And I'll talk about one of them right now. It's called the psycho-cybernetic mechanism. Mm -hmm. And what happens with the psycho-cybernetic mechanism is when you cross the threshold of your comfort zone, and you know, let's just pretend for you, right? You know, using your example. So for you, it was about you know being able to do what you're doing right now. You know, yes. do a do a radio show. 
you know, find a voice, be able to, you know, stand on stage and talk in front of thousands of people, which I've seen you do, right? Um, yeah. That, for a lot of people, 75% of people are terrified of speaking in public. You know, the idea, though, that, you know, um, for you, um, uh, you know, finding your voice and stepping out in public and, and, and you know, being able to express yourself in public, for, for 75% of people, that's terrifying. And it was for you. And so as soon as you stepped across the threshold of your comfort zone, as soon as you started walking towards that space for the first time, the psychocybernetic mechanism floods the body with the body with chemicals. And these chemicals are interpreted as fear, apprehension, doubt, and uncertainty. So it's fear, apprehension, doubt, and uncertainty. So what happens is whenever we cross the threshold of our comfort zones, regardless of how big they are, like even for me, when I do something brand new I've never done before, my body's going to be flooded with chemicals. It doesn't mean I don't get the same feeling as anybody else. It just means that I'm used to feeling that feeling. And that's the old adage, feel the fear and do it anyway. But that's what happens. When you, when you step across the threshold of your comfort zone in any capacity, the brain will, 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 will sort of put you under a chemical attack. Then you have to decide what most people do when they feel any fear, apprehension, doubt, or uncertainty. They breathe or they retreat. What successful people do is they feel that and they keep moving. And that's what you've been able to do consistently is feel the fear, feel the apprehension, feel the doubt, feel the uncertainty. Your psychocybernetic mechanism is in flooding your body and you've got used to the feeling. And you know what's on the other side of that feeling. It's amazing. Because when you grow, when you feel growth, when you see yourself expanding any arena in your life, you feel amazing. You start to, um, you start to see success as normal. You start to see, right? But what most people do is they get trapped on the edge of their comfort zone as they step across the blood, the, the, the brain triggers this chemical attack. What do most people do? They freeze retreat. So they never feel the joy uh, that exists in the uncomfortable zone or the unknown zone. They just don't do that. So they live their whole lives in comfort. That's why they live in the same home, to drive the same car, eat the same food, watch the same program, and life just becomes a blur and they don't know why or they, they they've never really experienced the joy and the absolute absolute succulentness of life outside the comfort zone yeah and that's why i describe it as suffocation because it was after feeling the fear and doing it anyway you know in that moment i literally i think took a deeper breath than i'd ever taken in my whole life it was a literal visceral feeling of like you know, I like emerged out of being drowned or something. I don't, and so I became immediately addicted to that feeling. It took me a while to really be able to push through. However, I knew that I'd felt it before and I kept wanting to feel it. So I kept just pushing in it. I don't know. Does ever, do you remember feeling something like that where you like realize that this is where the juice is instead of that was awful and I'm never going to do that again? Is there, do you know what the difference is or? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I do. I mean, and I think the thing is that I feel it constantly because I'm constantly in that state of wanting to find new things, express new ways, try new things, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I remember even when I started this journey, I mean, I was terrified of speaking in public. I'd had, you know, um, I, I'd emceed a wedding and it completely uh, ruined it. And one thing I knew was I would never, ever, ever, ever take a risk and stand in front of public again. Here I am, that was one million students ago, right? Mm -hmm. And here I am today, you know, uh, incredibly comfortable in front of any situation in front of the room. I still feel those nerves, I still feel the apprehension down, I'm certain they're still in there. I just don't pay any attention to it. But when I first, because I sort of had that 
extreme public humiliation. The first time I got on stage would have been, you know, akin to what you were feeling exactly. It's hard to believe that, right? Because, you know, that that week on my island where you were training and you were being put into these situations that were so extreme, right? I mean, how you felt was exactly like I felt because I was terrified because I'd already tried um, public speaking and completely bombed, blew it up, you know, ruined the wedding. I mean, that's a hard thing to swallow, right? Yeah, that's one of the things that's so fascinating, but I think it's so key is that we all feel the same feelings. There's very few emotions, really, right? So we all feel the same feelings. And for me to look at you even now and to realize that you actually feel the same feelings that I feel is a little bit hard to believe at first. And all at the same time, it's very freeing to realize if you feel that, then maybe I can have what you have or feel like you feel if I do what you do. At least that's my way of thinking, and that's well. Yeah, but if, 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 yeah, but if you, anyone listen, if you do what successful people do, if you think what they think, mm-hmm. if you do what they do, if you say what they say, right? If you believe what they believe, you're going to be successful. Because it's impossible, you know, to to not be successful if you follow the path, right? And you're going to see people. I mean, we put people in our circle of influence who are, you know, their social media is blown up. They have 100,000 people. They probably have a million people in 10 years because they focus their energy on constantly pushing the threshold. They're constantly in a state of expansion, but also excellence. They're constantly looking at, at, at developing their skill sets, developing their social media skills, developing their communication skills. So they're constantly evolving. And because of that, they're becoming so attractive, you're gonna see them just become, you know, global icons. Even though, you know, two or three years ago, some of these people were sitting in one of my classes, terrified to speak in public. Mm-hmm. No, but what they've got, beyond even what I'm doing, for me as their teacher, they've eclipsed uh, my reach because I'm not so invested in social media and you know and, and, and spending a lot of time in that arena. But these people are having massive impact all over the world and, and getting bigger and bigger every single day because they're in a constant state of expansion. Yeah, because they've been able to connect to what they what they want and they've found the the answer is stepping outside of our comfort zone. Which starts with being open. So I have you know, my the voice program and you know first discovering the value of who you are being open and then setting an intention to act what i found is i can't set an intention to act unless i'm open to the new ideas and the new experiences and you know that adrenaline week was that your creation or is that something that exists in new zealand (laughs) first of all well you know when i i was asked to mentor a, a son of a a very very wealthy family and you know and this is, you know, the only son of a very, very wealthy family. And when I was asked to mentor this person, I uh, said to the parents, I said, look, I'll mentor this person if you trust the process and you do, don't interfere, right? So don't, you know, I don't want your fear going over into this experience, right? Because when you have your only son and suddenly this goofball that you've just trusted to mentor someone, you know, this young boy, and, but what I did immediately is I took him way outside his comfort zone and I took him on a trip into Central America and we spent three weeks traveling into extreme situations where that everything was new. Mm-hmm. And, and there were things, fears that he had uh, that we, we attacked every single day. And they were big fears until they stopped being fearful, you know? And so what happens is 
for me, that that idea, like right now with my youngest son, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking yesterday, and he just texted me. I read you the text before the, mm-hmm. uh, the show. Um, you know, uh, we talked yesterday about him going to China for three months and Nepal, and uh, and you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's great, great, great. So we you know we were booking his flight, and he like suddenly woke up this morning, about holy crap. Three months alone in China. What am I thinking? Because suddenly the fear has kicked in, right? And that's the same as he was feeling on that bungee side. You know, that's the same feeling that I want him to continue to feel over and over and over again until he starts to trust himself, right? Because as a 17, well, he's just 18 now. He's 18 last week. But, you know, as an 18 year old, and most parents are so scared because they live in such small boxes, they're terrified of their kids getting hurt. So they don't want to push their kids out of a nest. They don't want their kids to. I mean, I mean, Ben's mom, when she saw on social media, because we didn't post anything till you know, day or two after, mm-hmm. you know, but when she saw him jumping out of planes and jumping off bungee jumps, of course, as a mother, she's like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. What are you doing with my son? Right? I mean, there was, <clears throat> um, was a lot of fear for her. So what we do often is fear pass on. Mm-hmm. Generations pass on. We pass our fear from, our, from ourselves to our kids. Right, and that's why so many kids are afraid because their parents have made them afraid, and society made them afraid. Right, you know, it's like you know, think about in America today, the idea of stopping for hitchhiker for a lot of Americans holds a lot of fear, which is ridiculous. I hitchhike all over the world. I pick up hitchhikers all the time, but for a lot of people, because there's been a story or two of someone being mugged or attacked or killed from a hitchhiker, right? People will then take that, and now stopping on the side of the road and pick up someone that needs a ride is not normal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so, so fear is definitely something that is spread. It's like a, it's like a cancer it's spread from person to person. That's true. And so you're talking about, you know, your son and he made this agreement he set an intention to go to china and now he's feeling the fear you know a lot of people would use that as an excuse to back out so well he he, he may still i mean i haven't spoken yeah. yet since he sent me the text he may still what i think he's going to do is he's going to because it's the three month part that's scaring him right now mm-hmm. right three months alone because he's never done that before because he was in vietnam with 12 or eight of his friends uh for two weeks and travel across Vietnam with a whole party of people. And then he traveled with me around the world for like two and a half months. So the, the muscles are being built. Mm-hmm. So we might have to find a compromise for his brain, or we just throw him out. We say, no, listen, you're gone for three months. That's what you chose the ticket for. Or we just say, look, that's a buy an open-ended ticket. And stay out as long as you can. And you know, whatever you feel like you need to come back, jump on a plane, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, that's still... He's still going to find something he's never found before. He's still going to expand into a new place he's never been before. Just the very nature of stepping off that plane in China, right? And being completely alone in a foreign country where most people don't speak English, right? Yeah. So you're saying that by, you know, setting the intention, allowing baby steps is better than just not doing it or by backing out of that. That intention that you said is. Well, that- yeah, because not everyone. Imagine when I left, because for my story, some of you know it, some of you yeah. don't, right? I, mean, I backpacked for 10 and a half years around the world, but I set no intention. I didn't sit there one day, I'm going for 10 years. Originally, I was going for six days, and it's, it turned into 10 and a half years, mm-hmm. 42 countries. But I was, remember how scared I was for the year. In fact, I'm writing about it right now, and I'm writing, you know, this whole idea and remembering how scared I was. Um, when I first started traveling. So I know exactly what Ben's feeling. So even as a dad 
that wants the best for my son, I've still got to appreciate what he's feeling and allow him to navigate those feelings and continue to grow, right? Like when we when we did the adrenaline leap, he did not want to jump off the second bungee side. The first one was great. The second one, terrified. And here's what's ridiculous. I mean, Kerry, here's a funny thing. Because it was a, I've done quite a few bungee jumps, so I don't have a lot of fear. I'm not fearful of death. So when I jump up, you can probably see in the photograph, my, my Instagram is David T.S. Wood, uh, or Facebook David T.S. Wood. You can see, if you look at the photograph, you'll see how comfortable I am, even when I'm skydiving. Because I've done these things before, they're not new to me, but they're new to him. And you can see kind of the fear in his body as he's leaping up. You can see the fear a little bit in his posture, but he still did it, right? Yeah. And so when what happened for me was, I did this jump with him, and it was a very formidable jump, you know, 134 meters into a rock canyon suspended between two mountain ranges. It's scary. And I just try, what I do when fear comes along is stay in the moment. I know that fear only exists in the future, because if you look at the definition of the word fear, it's the anticipation of pain, the anticipation of pain. Because I know that, what I do is I stay in the moment. So, you know, I, I look at the scenery, I'm talking to the guys, I'm laughing, I'm dancing to the music, you know, at the side. I'm not thinking about four steps ahead. If the chord snaps, because that's what most of us do. We're not afraid of heights, we're afraid of hitting the ground, right? You know what I'm saying? It, 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 it's, a, it's a funny thing that, you know, how the mind works, right? Yes. And but what happened with me, I do this jump, and we go back to get a photograph, and all my photographs disappeared. So they gave me a free jump for the second day. So we had to go back to the same side. And I remember going through all this noise in my head. I mean, it was, it was hard. I think, oh yeah, you know, this is, and I could hear my brain tricking me. I could hear my brain saying, oh yeah, well, it's funny. Now, now you're going to have the accident. Now, blah, 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 because you're so cocky. I mean, and so I could hear all this noise. And it was like, and I felt really nervous the second day. I had that sort of gut feeling in my stomach. And even though you can't see it in the photographs, because again, I stayed in the moment, it was really hard for me the second day. And even Ben, when we went out on the bungee side, you know, he was scared to be out there because it really is quite gnarly. If you look at it, I mean, you've seen the photographs. They're really yeah. gnarly photographs. Um, yeah. And so I had to do it a second time in two days, which was kind of fun. And I thought that teaches me the big lesson because I got to feel the fear the second day that I didn't feel the first day because I'm comfortable bungee jumping, right? Yeah, wow. That's so fun to hear stories behind the stories. And it's also, I think it's really, it's fun for me and it's also really valuable, I think, for people to hear that you, Mr. Adventure, is, you know, still feels the fear sometimes and then what you do to manage that. And so, you know, some people are, are more prone to be able to live in the now than others and that's just natural wiring. And for the rest of us, like for me, I have found that uh, my... I, 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 I disagree, though. I want you to finish what you're saying, but I disagree. It's natural wiring. It's conditioned wiring. It's nothing natural about it. No one's naturally born unafraid or afraid. We learn to be afraid and we learn to be unafraid. There's right. no natural about it, honestly. Yeah, not for the fear, but the ability to live in the now is something that um, I'm studying and that I'm, I'm convinced at this point about. However, so some people, like... For me, my natural tendency is to live in the past, and you love to live in the now, and there's others that are programmed to live in the future. And and the, for me, the now has been the probably the most powerful tool for me to be able to step outside of my comfort zone. Learning to live in the now, even though it's not my natural place to be, is so powerful. And I don't know if you have any tips on how to bring yourself out of the fear of the future or the regrets of the past and the stories of the past and just stay in the now. I know you do have tips because you give them to me all the time. 
but can you share some of those tips well, with yeah. I mean, everyone else? But first of all, it, it's a choice. I mean, if you want to be a present in the present living, yeah. right, yeah. then, you know, the brain, you have to fall in love with yourself to do it. It's hard to love, it's hard to be in the now if you don't love yourself. And most people yeah. struggle with self-love. Yes. So to, to fall in love with ourselves, we have to fall in love with all of our mistakes. I mean, I lied my whole life. I've cheated. I've stolen. I've been in jail. I mean, I've done a lot of bad things. I'm not a bad person. I'm a great person now. Mm-hmm. And that's why I can say this. I mean, some people would listen to me and go, what are you so cocky? No, I'm just in love with myself. I'm in love with my imperfection. I'm in love with my story. I'm in love with all the mistakes I've ever made. I'm in love with every bad mistake. And I've made some doozies over my lifetime, <laughs> right? So I have to love the story. I have to love the journey. That's where the, 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 the regret disappears. Now, the fear of the future, if we look at the definition of the word fear again, the anticipation of pain, right? That's a practice. So what I try not to do, and in other words, try what I do, actually, yeah. is I've set my life up where I do not really look at the future at all. My assistant sets my calendar. You know this, Kerry. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen uh, two days from now. My assistant sends me a calendar every morning because I'm not interested in what's happening two days from now. I'm interested in what's happening today. This is the only day that I can focus on. So I don't spend a lot of time planning the future. My assistant does. Now, a lot of you may not have an assistant you could do that with, but it's still a mindset of, you know, guess what? I'm not going to think about tomorrow. I'm going to focus on today because this is the day I'm in, right? Now, I'm not saying if you have a, a big presentation or if you have a, you know, you have something you want to do tomorrow, a speech at a wedding, that you can sort of like, you see what happens. People are terrified of speaking again in public and they've got a speech at a wedding in two months. I'm nervous for two months and they get all stewed up about it. I've helped coach people through that, which is crazy. So how do you get out of that? You just get into the moment. How do you get into the moment? Well, let's say right now. People would say to me, where's your favorite place on earth? And I said, right here, right now, this moment. So mm-hmm. I've started to articulate my brain that my favorite place is now. So being with you, Kerry, right now in your audience is my most favorite thing in the entire world right now. So I bring my whole self with me to this experience. You know, and if you know where I'm sitting, I actually came because I've got some people in the house right now. Right? I came, I'm sitting on my bed. I've got some music playing in the background. I'm looking out at this stunning view, and I'm thinking, how lucky am I to be sitting in this spot, you know, enjoying this breathtaking view, right? Listening to this cool music and talking to you. So, what could be better than this moment? And so, like, you know, so then, so designing, because life by design means designing more moments that we can be in love with, right? Mm-hmm. And so, now living, or moment to moment living, means that you, even if you just articulate it to your brain, I love this moment more than any, even shooting things. You know, like when things are bad or happen, what I say to myself is I'll go, this is going to be a great story later. I mean, what is different than, than, than getting all caught up about it, right? So, for example, do you want to, do you want to hear a really funny story? I haven't told yeah. you this story yet, Carrie. Okay, I'm excited. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how much time you've got on this thing. How long do you go for? You know, it depends on what the subject is and... I, okay. I, I want right, to hear your story. <laughs> so I think everyone else does too. Well, I'll, I'll give you a story that happened three weeks ago in England. I'm in England and I rented a car. I rent cars all over the world. I drive all over the world. I never worry about driving anywhere, right? And, you know, I'm quite an aggressive driver, I suppose, right? But I rent this Citroen and the gear stick is automatic. It's behind the steering wheel. And I'm driving along this little tiny village in England. And um, after my girlfriend starts to get sick, in the car. So of course I want to jump out and help her. So I, I stop on this hill, I put the car into what I think is park, I jump out of the car, 
the car I put into reverse. With this particular car, you have to put it up into park, push it forward, and then go up one more notch into reverse, which I've never seen before, right? So it's kind of like one extra step to get into park. Hmm. Anyway, the car takes off, it's on a hill. Right, and the door hits me, throws me to the ground, the, 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 the car runs right over one of my feet, so the wheel runs right over my, my ankle, right? The door hit my hip, and I, got, I had bruises, honestly, bruises all the way from my knee all the way up to sort of my lower back, but dark purple, and it hit my hip bone, and the door gave way, thank goodness, right? And it buckled, it buckled the door up. It was like a perfect curve where my hip was, was, was the thing. And the car takes off, so I jump up, adrenaline in the body, and Ashton's still in the, being sick in the front of the car. She hasn't even realized I'm gone. She's still consumed with, and so the car is now running down a hill, and it's all down a hill, and it just smashes into this wall, <laughs> and just obliterates this thing. I mean, it was just, I just, and so for me, that's like, okay, how do I feel about it? You can hear it. I tell people a story, I laugh about it, because I've been in that situation where I realized this is gonna be a really, funny story and this is and i've already told it like i'm just telling it to your audience right yeah and i, I could have got my brain and like most people's brains do here i have different responses oh my god you could have died and there's a lot of things about that when you i mean how many people get to run themselves over very few so now i have this new distinction of running myself over but you see like most people beat the crap out of themselves like i'm such an idiot i can't believe i did that i'm so stupid i don't do that I just said, wow, what a nice story. Yeah, so I rode off the car, I had insurance. Yeah, it's not like damaged my body a little bit, you know. And I, I mean, I was standing in a parking lot in a pub, and I said, Peter, and I dropped my pants to show my brother the bruises. You're like, holy crap. Because until you see the bruises, you don't realize how bad it is until you yeah. see how hurt someone was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was just one of those things. So I think, again, you know, if you live in a world where your mistakes become your stories, not your reason to think, you know, you're incapable or whatever, I'm not great at everything. I'm good at something. I'm mediocre at a lot of things, but I don't worry about that. I'm not constantly measuring myself, and people who are in love with themselves don't do that. So when I have a goofy story like this, and I can tell you dozens of stories of where I've messed up, where things have gone <laughs> catastrophically wrong, but all they are are stories. They're not reasons to beat the shit out of myself, excuse me, beat the crap out of myself, right? <laughs> yeah. And honestly, they're a, they're a breath of fresh air. Like that right there, that moment we just all live together is like one of the reasons that I love coaching with you because you help pull me out of the desire to beat myself up and just enjoy the moment. And in fact, one of the assignments um, in, in the Train the Trainer program that I did with you, um, one of our assignments was to, instead of looking to our past for our stories to tell, it was to look in our moment and to create stories. And that became one of, again, another one of the pivotal activities for me. I turned it into 100 days of laughter, which turned into 100 days of, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that 100 days of laughter has really been, a, I didn't know that I could laugh 100 times, 100 days in a row. And so it was really, for me, that was one of the tools that I used to be able to live in the now. And it comes from hearing stories from people like you who, on the stage and in the spotlight and can be perceived as, you know, just one of those lucky people who happens to be amazing at everything and passionate about everything and talent, you know, all of that. And it's not, it's your own perception of you that puts you there, not the fact that you are perfect. So I love that. Um, I wanted to read your post from yesterday. Is that okay? Sure. I think it wraps, wraps up what we're talking about, the power of openness and also of setting an intention. Um, 
So there is a saying when a person discovers and lives their passion, it allows 10,000 others to do the same. The big question, of course, is how to discover and live your passion. For myself, discovering my passion of teaching came from saying yes and being open to trying and doing new things all the time. And I honestly would never have um, known that my passion was doing things like this, like this podcast. I would not have known had I not been open to you and to everything else that has come my way. So anyway, um, regardless if I was good at them or not, so the second, the second came from a ruthless pursuit of excellence. Once I realized that I wanted to be a teacher, speaker, trainer, I had no intention to be on the stage, no aspirations to teach. In fact, the opposite was true. I had tried public speaking and bombed in the worst possible way. I was certain at the time that I never wanted to risk being on stage again. However, when I said yes to attending an event that at the, that at the time I had no interest in, I witnessed a master trainer at work. I saw his impact on the audience. I felt the results firsthand. It was as if a light switch went off inside me. What came next really made the difference. I invested all my time, energy, and resources in the single pursuit of mastering the craft of teaching, training, and speaking. So again, right there, you're in the now in your pursuit instead of worrying about what might happen. I love that. I became the ultimate student even though I struggled and was a complete disaster. The inner demons constantly worked to against me as I experienced disaster after disaster, so I worked harder, was open to feedback, and modeled everyone who was having the results I wanted. Everyone was my teacher, and still is today. I volunteered at many events, studied the trainers, and looked for cues. One of my greatest teachers was the Dalai Lama, who showed me how to be authentic, real, and human when I attended a small gathering with him. I believe everyone can discover and live their purpose as long as they continue saying yes to new things and when the light switch goes off and they feel that undeniable calling that they allow themselves the thousands of hours of first being a disaster, then being just okay, then being good, and then becoming masterful. I think that's so beautiful, and it's seriously the summary of what we've been talking about, and I really believe it's the power, or at least part of the power of going from um, looking at who you want to be to actually being that, and that's what you've helped me to do. So from there, is there anything else you want to add to what we've said? And then I have one more question for you at the end. A surprise question. Well, sure. I mean, but just because I mentioned the Dalai Lama, I mean, one of the things that happened where I was learning how to be a trainer, and I thought it was about getting everything right and saying and doing the right thing and having, you know, um, having the answers. Um, and, you know, a lot of teachers, and this is even watching social media, how many people post, um, you know, quotes, or they say, this is what you, they're talking to you, the third person, do you do this, if you do that, if you do, and that, that stuff to me, I, I mean, I find it hard to read, mm-hmm. because, you know, what I love is I love stories, you know, like, if, if, if someone's going to throw a quote down on a social media page, tell me the story of why you used the quote, where did you, where did you, what was the story behind, you know, bringing that quote to life? Yeah. Right, rather than just throwing a quote down there and say, you know, it's almost like everyone's a personal development guru today, right? Yeah. And but what happened for me was when I I went to this small field in Haiti, Idaho, and there was wasn't many people there, and the Dalai Lama talking. I'm sitting really at his feet. I'm sitting maybe about eight feet from his feet, and he's sitting on his red chair in a hot summer's day. He's got a little umbrella. There's two aides sitting standing next to him in their big you know, orange and red robes, and the Dalai Lama's got his big glasses on. And we're doing like a Q and A, and as this guy asked a question, and it was kind of like the type of question where you think it's showing off more about what he knows rather than the interest of what the Dalai Lama is going to say. It was a very intricate kind of question, 
And the Dalai Lama looks down at his feet and he looks up at the sky and he looks down at his feet and everyone's kind of leaning in for the profound answer that the Dalai Lama's going to give, the insight he's going to give that's going to be life shattering or altering. Suddenly he starts to bang his thigh as hard as he can and he starts to laugh like a little boy big, big belly laugh. And he starts to howl and he looks at the guy and says, I have no idea. I don't know. And he starts to laugh. And in that moment, it really gave me permission to start saying, you know, that is the true master. The true master is, you know, we don't have to know. We don't have to know everything, you know. I mean, I, I have to be as much a student as I am a teacher if I'm going to be successful. And, you know, and so I attempt to be a student. I learn from everyone, every, every interaction. But, you know, when we get to the personal development, the slippery slope, right? Because, yeah. you know, sometimes we're, we're in this constant state of evolution where we never, ever are happy with where we're at. I think we've got to fall in love with the bits we're in right now and not always being concerned with the future, you know, like going back to what we said. But that's the story behind the Dalai Lama anyway. I love that. Thank you. The permission is amazing. Um, here is my final question because I... <laughs> When okay, I love Anne Murray. She's a Canadian, so um, I always have. She's been like my shero my whole life, and she sings a song or sang a song back in the '80s called "A Little Good News." And I was always so touched by that because she's singing about all of the tragedy that's going on in the world. And back then, we had we didn't have near the access to all the bad news that we have now. It's you know blast the airwaves, and if we allow ourselves to believe that that's truly how the world is, we can get really confused and we can lose a lot of hope and um i believe personally there's way more good in the world than bad and way more good people and way more um loving hearts than what we can be led to believe if we really get caught up in news and whatever so i like to ask the question um what good news do you see happening in your current corner of the world that you can share with us (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I think it's interesting to be, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think it's bad news. It's no different. I mean, you think, I mean, the history is, you know, we can go back any point in history from the Romans onward. You know, I mean, the world has always been, um, you know, in conflict somewhere. And, you know, there's, you know, mankind. I mean, that's why I think they're seeing a lot more women take power in different countries. You're going to see more women leading countries because I think they're better equipped to men have screwed things up for generations, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I don't choose to watch the news or read newspapers. I don't choose to fill my head with all that noise. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, I, I really know what's going on because honestly, it's not that I don't care, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. I can, if I was in, a, like when I'm traveling and I'm in an area of conflict or I'm in an area of, you know, I lived in Israel in 84, 85, you know, um, during the, uh, the, 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 the Arab conflict. I mean, so I, I lived in areas, I lived in Guatemala and all the regions of the 10 with the gorillas, you know, and I'm not talking about gorillas mountain, I'm talking about gorillas with guns, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've seen a fair share of conflict, um, but I think even there, there's beauty. Within the conflict, there's beauty. But I mean, you know, the conflict is only driven by a very small percentage of people and then you know people get caught up in it but like last year you know i mean in our in our area we had forest fires we had floods you know and it's like it's still beautiful i mean it's like you know we're gonna build homes in woods you know and, and on lakes then we're gonna have to put up with some of those things happening but it's how we deal with those things 
So even though, you know, there were forest fires, some people were like, oh my God. And other people like me, they're like, wow, it's so beautiful. It's incredible to watch these, you know, because I was watching these, because uh, I live on the lake, I was watching these, uh, the, the firefighters put out the fires, you know, and working eight aircraft in the air. And I was in awe. I just sat and watched for hours of these guys, you know, and had such deep respect. So yeah, you can say it's a catastrophe. Well, why? Fires are natural, they're normal, natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, these are all natural. You know, our resistance to them is where the conflict is. So I see beauty in all those things. I see, you know, actually it's interesting because, you know, in 19, 2004, we had a fire here in Kelowna. I live in Kelowna, British Columbia. That destroyed 421 homes, I think it was. And I could be lost by a few. Um, and you know, yeah, my friend who lost his home, his name is Rick, and uh, him and I were talking. I said, Rick, I said, I'm going to promise you something. One day you're going to come to me and say that was the best thing that ever happened, right? Because all the crap, you think how much stuff you have in your home that's just stuff we don't use anymore. Our cupboards are full of stuff, there's junk drawers, and all this stuff that we hold on to. And I said, it's like a cleansing. And then he had insurance, so he got to build a house exactly like he wanted. And he came up to me two and a half years later to say that was the best thing that ever happened to our family. <laughs> because he, you know, he just built this house exactly like he wanted it, you know, from his insurance money, and he got rid of all his old stuff, right? I, I know it sounds weird, but there's two ways to look at everything. Yeah. So I would rather say, what's the good news? The good news is, that, you know, that, that, that there's, we have the capacity within any situation to see good. Regardless, it doesn't have to be pretty. Doesn't have to be the perfect sunset, the perfect scenario. Some of the best sunsets they saw last year were a, a result of the fires. It's like, wow. But then again, I was going to tell you that 2004 with these fires, Gary, um, you know, all these trees burned down and this thing burned for like two and a half weeks. And, but now when you walk up into that area, which I used to live in that area, you go hiking up into the mountains where all these trees went, there's hundreds of thousands of brand new trees, all the same size. And what happens is the pine cones in Canada only release the seeds under extreme heat. So mm-hmm. a fire is a natural occurrence that triggers this incredible beauty that comes after the fire, right? But of course, because we put our house in the middle of somewhere beautiful, like people live in California, you know, I mean, we know that they're on a fault line. There's going to be earthquakes. They're going to be, but you choose that. When you put, when you buy the house there, you choose that, those other outcomes. I choose to accept that there's going to be fires in this area. And one day my house may be one of them. But I choose that in advance. Why would I resist it if it happens? Knowing that I want to live in this forest. I want to live in the heart of British Columbia. I want to, so, so I think that the good news is that we can change our perception of everything. So it's always good news. And I know that, you know, people get killed, people get hurt. I understand that. But guess one thing, the one thing for sure that we all have in common listening, the one thing we're all uncertain about is we're all going to die. We just don't know how. And so most of us are so afraid of dying that we never really live. And so when you stop being afraid of death, you start living fully. Because I always try, and I pull out the quote or the post I did a few days ago, I said, I attempt to live as if today is my very first day on earth and my very last day on earth. Yeah. Right? Because one day I'm going to be right. One day I won't be here anymore. You know, and all that's left is the, the echo of my impact on my family or my friends or my students that can echo forward. You know, and I hope that the ripple will continue of a positive, you know, impact on people's lives. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes beautiful sense. I knew, I knew I would love your answer. And if if we were completely opposite in every other aspect, that is the one place where you speak my heart 100%. I love it. And I love the way you explained it because there is, I even, I did a post on Instagram of a forest fire here and I just posted, look how beautiful this is. So anyway, um, thank you. 
thank you so very much for sharing your your heart and your insight and the one thing that um we can always know about david t.s wood is that what he speaks he lives what he teaches he lives all of the um posts if you find him and you mentioned before but again to find you on social media it's david t.s wood on facebook and on instagram right uh-huh. Yeah, and anything that you read, you know that that's real life. Like you're living that, and that's one thing that you can bank on. It's it's a beautiful thing. And um, is there any other way that people can can contact you, work with you? I have the lovely privilege of coaching one on one with you, and it's mm-hmm. incredible. It is you know what else can people do to connect with David T. S. Wood? Well, no, I mean, but if they want to message me on Facebook, if they want to, because uh, my assistant will deal with anything like that. I don't have a lot of, I don't do a lot of coaching. I, I, I can't keep it to a, I love it, but I don't take on a lot of clients. Um, but, you know, if someone's interested in working, I mean, I do radical coaching. I want radical change, mm-hmm. you know. So if someone someone works with me and I want to see a radical shift or, you know, they're going to get a refund and they're going to get told to go work with someone else. Because if I can't have a radical impact on someone's life in a few calls, right, where it's tangible, where they see a difference in their relationships, their bank account, their bedroom, wherever it is in their life, there's going to be a tangible shift. Then, you know, I'm not a counselor. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a radical coach, which means radical change. So I'm, I want to get to the heart of the beast right away and let Let's change it. I mean, and used to that. You know what my style is, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not invested in, um, in in working with anyone who's not moving forward. So as long as someone wants to continue to move forward in an elegant and beautiful way and enjoy the journey, then I'm open to work with them. But they can talk to Denise at Denise at AmplifiedLiving.com. Denise at AmplifiedLiving.com. So. And I'll include that in the show notes. So awesome. Thank you so much. All right, I love you, Carrie. Love you too. Thank you for my radical change. It's been the joy uh-huh. of my life. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Have a good one. You too. Thank you. Are you a speaker who has an inspiring, insightful message that will help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? If the answer is yes, we invite you to become a pro member of the eWomen Speakers Network. We have over 500,000 women connected through 118 chapters spread across North America. We're looking for speakers to share their wisdom and breakthrough ideas. Go to eWomenNetwork.com and join our speakers network. The benefits for pro speakers are incredible. Go to eWomenNetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.